Good morning and happy Father's Day. It is good to have you in the house of the Lord on this beautiful day as we sojourn through our morning and we conclude this section of our Acts series called Sojourners Passing Through. Understanding that a sojourner mentality is transitional, it's intentional, and it's missional. And we're gonna point to that throughout this morning as we kind of tie a bow on this section of our sermon series in Acts. It's a trilogy though, we will have the third section if you're going, we have more chapters in Acts. We are gonna be doing that as well as we enter into summer. Well, hey, today I wanted to reflect on a, a boat or a ship, I should say, that has meant a lot to me for most of my life. In fact, most of my life that I can remember, this ship has kind of been a staple. Now, now I've never ridden on this ship. I've never even seen the full ship up close. But this, this boat, this ship has been a part of my life throughout. What, what boat am I talking about? What ship am I talking about? I'm talking about the SS Atlantis. Anybody familiar with what the SS Atlantis is? It was one of 12 ships made in World War I to carry soldiers across the transatlantic, moving throughout. It had a couple voyages, but what was interesting about it is the Liberty Shipbuilding Company built 12 of these. And you say of these, of these ships? Yeah, of these ships that were made of, anybody know? Concrete. Anybody want to ride in a boat full of concrete? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and these ships were made of concrete. And, and they noticed when they were transporting, they were a little slow. Well, yeah. Think about how heavy that must have been. Well, obviously, um, steel and, and different aspects of technology came along and made these obsolete relatively quick. And it was actually in harbor and retired when in June 1926, a thunderstorm, a massive storm at sea came and it broke free from its harbor and went down the, the, the coast and shipwrecked at Cape May Point, right? Anybody ever been at Cape May? Now, now, if you go to Cape May, this is a postcard. This is a postcard and from 1940 if you, uh, of, the, of the ship and, and people going to see this shipwrecked concrete. This is a shot of it um, Thursday of last week. You go ahead, one slide. That's all that's really left now, right? It's deteriorated. And think about how long it's been there for in 2000. 21, you can still see a portion of it, especially if the tides drop. And see, that's why this ship has been such a part of my life. For every year, the Heller family goes to the beach. And one of our traditions is to go to Sunset Beach and watch the sunset. They have a flag raising and, and, and lowering with a national anthem. There's rocks all throughout the sand that you can take. And, and, and since the kids were little, they like to collect rocks on the beach. We walk along. There's shops now. It's become completely um, commercialized. There's many golf courses there and everything now. But this sunset beach has been a part of our life. And now I have to tell the kids, like, seriously, the boat. When I was a little kid, you could see most of the front of the SS Atlantis. But you know, as I'm watching this boat deteriorate throughout my life, 
it's come, become a little bit symbolic, too, of our vacations. For, for our vacations don't look the same as they used to. Now, the first time I can remember going to Sunset Beach, I, I think I was with my parents, and this girl I had just put a ring on, and we were getting pictures of ourselves. And the boat was higher then. And then their kids came along, you know, and it's fun to look back on the pictures of Sunset Beach and see how they're getting taller through the years. But any parents who have been here long enough, and fathers especially today, there come seasons where the pictures don't look the same. Whether somebody had to go home because of a college commitment, whether you had to do this, it just life changes. Sometimes, sometimes there's spouses added to your pictures. But Sunset Beach isn't quite the same as I remember it with three little ones going, stop throwing rocks at your sister. Can I get that? Can I get that? Can I get that? There's seasons of life. And sometimes that's really tough on dads because you want some of those seasons to stay, but the sun is setting on that season. And that's why I'm calling today kind of a sojourner's sunset. Understanding you're passing through seasons of your life and there are gonna be sunsets on things that you really enjoyed but just aren't quite the same. You know, somebody told me, Chris, don't worry, Sunset Beach will come back. One of your children will have little kids and you'll be running along back and forth and they get to go home with them when you're done and you just get to go home with Becca. So I'm looking forward to maybe some of those days too. But how about you? Have you ever reflected on some of the sunsets of your life? Now, I grew up in an artist's home, so we are used to metaphors in our life of hearing how things represent aspects of our life. And I know, for me, I wanna take advantage of all the different sunsets or seasons that come along my way. And I especially wanna lean into fathers today as it is Father's Day. You know, my brother-in-law came to a graduation for my daughter this year and sat down at a table and started asking my dad some thoughts that he had because he said, I'm noticing my boys are getting older, they're getting older and soon they're gonna be out of the house. And I just, I sometimes think, have I given them everything they need? Have I done enough? Anybody who knows my brother-in-law knows he lost his father at a very young age. And so he is so passionate to be a great dad, and he is, he's a great dad. But he's, I just wanna make sure before they leave the house that they have what they need for me as their spiritual leader. And my dad said to him, he, he was telling me the story, he said, I told him, well, it's simple. You just need to do these four things before they go. I'm like, dad, I believe it's more than four. He goes, no, I told him the four things. I said, dad, You've shared this in classes and things. I have it in my journal. I believe it's more than four. My mom chimes in. Yeah, Robin, I think it's more than four. He goes, well, I can't remember the other one, so now it's four. <laughs> so it, it used to be a larger list, but as you get older, dads, you forget your wisdom and you hope your kids wrote it down, okay? Um, it, it's actually seven, we confirmed, as even of last night. And um, you know what? In honor of my dad, if we have time today at the end of the sermon, I'm gonna give you his seven things every kid needs before they leave home for the younger fathers in the room. And I want to reflect specifically on taking advantage 
of the seasons of our life, especially in regards to being a spiritual leader. Now, now there's many people, there's many dads who would like to be a good dad, but can I encourage everyone in the room, not just dads, to aspire to be a spiritual leader? Now, spiritual leaders, I'm sorry, you're not gonna be able to walk through life going, I don't care what anybody says, you're not a spiritual leader. I'm sorry, but if you're a spiritual leader, you're not gonna be able to go, I don't know why you gotta do all that. I mean, that's a little intense, don't you think? If that's the way you're gonna live, that's not a spiritual leader. If you wanna be a spiritual leader, you're gonna notice there's sacrifices that need to be made. You're gonna have to live very intentionally because you understand how much of an influence you can have. And oh my word, you're gonna have to fulfill your responsibility as given to you in scripture. If you wanna be a spiritual leader, you have to work on it like it depends on you. But pray like it depends only on God. My goal today is to point out three characteristics of maybe one of the ultimate spiritual leaders of all of scripture, the Apostle Paul. And we're gonna point him out as he's facing a sunset in his life. The third missionary journey is coming to an end and he wants to deliver everything he can before he goes to those he's with. And I wanna encourage you to listen along, dads, but anybody who desires to impact lives in the seasons they're given. Heavenly Father, I think it's a great question for fathers to ask, what will I leave behind? I think it's a great question for fathers to consider, what did they see in me? I think it's a great question for them to consider, have I said everything I need to say? These are questions that spiritual leaders ask of themselves. They see their importance in others' lives and they live in these ways. So Lord, today, may we encourage the fathers here. May we encourage leadership in the room for that's what fathering is, being a leader. But may we also not allow the devil to speak into today. For there is so much guilt and shame that goes along with fathering. There's so many should've, could've, would'ves that go through a dad's mind. So Lord, may we speak grace, may we speak inspiration, but may we walk out of here encouraged because we visited here today. And if not encouraged as a father, thankful as a child. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the sun is setting on the third missionary journey and we find Paul in Troas. And he's in Troas and there's a group of disciples there that he has been their spiritual leader throughout his traversing. And he stops and he's leaving the next day. So he wants to make sure he says everything he can say. It's kind of those final partings as the kid's going off. Hey, make sure, make sure you do this. Oh, hey, and make sure you do that. Paul's make sure lists are right here and I've kind of broken them down so you can get the most of them because I wanted them in my own life um, to carry on because I really look up to Paul and I pray the way I attack this sermon today kind of a, out of a private devotional goal, it encourages you as well. Let's walk into Troas. We're in, a, we're in this third story of a room of a building um, where Paul's preaching and here's what scripture says. 
On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day. You want to know why you attend church on Sunday mornings? There it is. They used to meet on the Sabbath, is Saturday. Sunday, they began to meet on the Lord's Day. And so this is one of your first occurrences ever of people gathering on the first day or Sunday, most likely evening, for many people worked during that morning and they would gather in the evenings and then Paul began to speak. Many scholars think maybe around six o'clock, 5.30, six o'clock, this message begins in the third story. And look how Luke breaks this down. He says this, and he prolonged his speech until, help me out kids, Midnight? You thought Pastor Chris was long? Imagine till midnight, Paul's speaking. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. What are you doing here, Luke? Luke's setting this up a little bit. There's lamps. Now, they were done by a, a flame, right? These weren't like lights, no electricity. So that means there's heat in the room. And on top of that, if you study a little bit of the ancient culture of that time, there are oil lamps, which make a room's air really heavy. Combine the two, bad things can happen to good kids. Let's check it out. And so this occurs, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul, look at, look at Luke, still talked longer. Eutychus is up there. Have you ever seen, how many of you raise your mental hand? You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you have fallen asleep in church? How many of you have just been nudged right now to wake up as I said that, right? <laughs> How many of you during the lockdown were at home on your couches texting me saying, Chris, I watched church, but you were actually sleeping through it, okay? No, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I'm just, it, it, you know what, we're glad you tuned in for five minutes, let alone the whole service. I heard Warren Wearsby say, I'm glad for this passage of scripture, for when I preach and someone falls asleep, I think to myself, well, even the apostle Paul put people to sleep. Now, Eutychus, he, he's up in the window. If you've ever seen this, it kind of looks like this. I'll act it out. If you're listening to a podcast or something, you'll have to use your imagination. You, you see them sitting there. They're sitting there like this, and then their head does one of these. Their wife says, knock it off. Why? Why? And then you go forward. I went to class. Some of you have heard me share this. We had a buddy fall asleep in class. It was very typical when you're going to a Bible college for people to pray at the end of class. He fell asleep and the guys tapped him. Hey man, teacher just asked you to pray. Stand up and pray. <laughs> and so in the middle of class, he stood up. Dear Heavenly Father, just wanna thank you. <laughs> he finished his prayer and the teacher, and obviously everybody in the room is dying laughing. And he finished his prayer, said amen. The teacher said, thank you, appreciate the prayer. We still have 20 minutes of class. <laughs> you don't want to fall asleep, and you don't want to fall asleep in Scripture, for it's recorded for the rest of time. So Eutychus, he sleeps a little longer, but it gets worse. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. The mothers in the room go, all right, that's enough. We're going to church and people are dying? He's dead. What's going to happen? So, so, here, so Paul, fortunately, that stopped him from preaching. Hey, we got to take a time out. We got a kid who's fallen out of a third story floor and is dead. 
But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him by his arm said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. We believe this is a resurrection story when I say believe. Many, many scholars, which I agree with, look at this as what Elisha did, Elijah did, Jesus did, and now Paul, obviously transitional gift packages that were being used in Acts, he resurrected him. And so what happens I mean, that would obviously stimulate Eutychus again and the crowd. But look what happens. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, so they go back upstairs, they get out bread, and and the original language here could be communion or just a regular meal. He conversed with them a long while until daybreak. And so departed. Until daybreak, let me uh, me up. I've spoken to different audiences. I've, I've sat at retreats. If you stay up all night talking to a group, it's because, and I remember these times, um, we used to go to this place called Three Springs and the kids would stay up all night sometimes talking with me in the lobby. They would just be peppering me with questions. So what do you think of this? And what do you think with this? And so I kind of picture this nighttime is they just couldn't get enough of him and he wanted to give them everything God had imparted to him. And so until daybreak, they kept going because he's got to leave the next day. And they took the youth away alive. Luke says, don't worry, he's okay. And they were not a little comforted. You know, I love what Eutychus means. You know what his name means? It means fortunate. Eutychus was fortunate Paul was there for he died from a three-story window and God used the resurrecting power that Paul had been given for that moment specifically to bring him back you know I learned something about Paul and I learned something about spiritual leaders listening to this man converse with people he dearly loved the night before he's about to leave Paul shouldn't you get some sleep A spiritual leader is sacrificial. A spiritual leader sacrifices of themselves. Knowing, what do they know? They know there are transitional moments to life. The sun will set on seasons and I'm staying up all night because I'm never gonna see these people in Troas again and I'm gonna give them everything I can. Young dads, I'm gonna help you out in case you're a little bit annoyed when you come home and two kids jump on your legs and you walk to the kitchen like this. They stop doing that. It sometimes can even turn into this. Oh yeah, hey dad. Eat those moments up. Eat them up. We have young dads on our staff. One of the things I text them when they go on vacation, I said, one of the things I tried to do as a dad on vacation was always say yes. I say a lot of no's. I'm sorry, no, not right now. Hey man, not right now. Hey, sweetheart, not, not, not. No, hey, I can't right now. I gotta finish this on vacation. Dad, you wanna go to Jilly's at midnight? Yes, let's go. I, I just try to say yes. I wanna take on those moments because I know they're seasonal. The sun will set on those moments. Dads, what are you doing in the youngest ages? Those times matter. You're establishing traditions. I had a father in the back after the first service. He said, I try to do a daddy date with my daughter. I said, good job, because that's your only chance of it happening in the future is if you establish some traditions. Otherwise, you're gonna have to start them over. And dads, you can do that too. But those sacrifices you make of your time, knowing that these are just seasons, will be worth it in the end. Oh, he was pouring himself out and they wanted all of it. They loved Paul so much. 
oh, help us, Lord, to understand how important we are to who we need to know that we're important to. There's a story of a mother talking to her husband that my father-in-law loves to share, seldom without tears in his eyes. The mom said, sweetheart, you've been working so much. Your son really needs a day with you. Hon, you don't understand. This house ain't gonna pay for itself. If we're gonna do this, if I'm gonna get this, he really needs a day with you. Okay, fine, he set it up. They were gonna go on Saturday, they were gonna go fishing, he and his boy. So Saturday came, they got the rods, and it just seemed like the entire day, everything went wrong. A fishing line broke. The motor on the boat wouldn't work well. A thunderstorm came and cut the day short. He, he, he struggled with this, he struggled with that. He finally got home, and on top of that, his boy barely talked the whole day. It was so odd for him. He gets home and he tells his wife, oh, she goes, what, how did it go, how did it go? Did you guys have a good time? His son went up the steps and went up to his room to get bathed up and go to bed. He explained to his wife in the kitchen, oh man, the boat broke down, then the rain comes, I can't do this, and there was this, it was just like, oh, I was just so frustrated all day. On top of that, he barely talked to me. It was like the worst day ever. She's like, well, thank you for at least trying. He went up the steps, walked past his son's room, who had started to drift off to sleep, walked up to just fix his blanket, and on the stand was a picture that his boy had drawn of he and his dad. And the caption on top of it read, best day ever. Fathers, sacrifice. Spiritual leaders, sacrifice of their time. Because the sun sets on seasons of life. And Paul's had set in Troas. And so Luke opens up a book. It's like a journal of, of all these ports of call. And we get to see Paul traverse down the, east, the, the, the western side of, of, of Asia Minor. He says, but going ahead to the ship, we set sail. This is the next day. Morning has come, the daybreak, and Paul's moving forward. Scripture says this. Luke gives us a window into this. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Essos, which is right here, okay? Um, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged intending himself to go by land. Oh, this is interesting. We learned something more that you wouldn't see if you were just reading through the scripture or maybe not have a map. Luke says, we wanted to set sail and we have to actually come around this peninsula here to land in Assos. But, but because, because Paul stayed so late, he actually gave himself more time by walking the journey. In fact, it's as if he said that night, I'm staying up all night with these folks. You know what I'll do? I'll walk tomorrow if I have to. I'm staying up all night. I am going to put this little guy on my shoulders and walk him around the entire amusement park because he it feels like he doesn't want to go on a ride. That's what dads do. Dads do sacrificial things. They just kind of suck it up and take over. They sacrifice. And that's what Paul did. He, he hiked it. And then Luke keeps going. He goes, and we just started working our way down. And sailing from there, we came the following day to Chios. Okay, this is, the, this is the home of Homer, the poet, That if you've ever heard of him. The next day, we touched in at Samos. Okay, Pythagoras is, is the native son of Samos, the mathematician, right? And the day after that, we went into Miletus. Okay, so he stops here. And I noticed he went by Ephesus. 
Paul, don't you need to talk to Ephesus? Watch this. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus. Why? Oh, so that he might have time to spend in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. The third part of Acts is all about Paul going to Jerusalem. You're going to see a lot of messianic parallels of Paul going, I am going to, Jer- excuse me, to Rome after Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. So he wants to get down here. He wants to head this way, so he's moving. Whether he felt it was too dangerous to go back to Ephesus because of the Jews trying to kill him, or whether he thought it was too much time, he stops here in Maltus, and it seems like, it seems like he ports there for a couple days. Why? Because look what scripture says then. Now from Maltus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, so he sends to them. Now remember, he's not texting them. Okay, so somebody's got a journey there and journey back. So he's there a few days and he has a message for him. And this is huge. We learn that spiritual leaders are sacrificial, but you're gonna hear from Paul himself what's important to him. I think it's great for fathers to actually share what's important to them with their kids. In fact, in my journal, I have something called the Heller Mantra. And I share it with our kids. And part of it is a few visions and goals dad has for the future. And I share it with them because I want them to see kind of what my hope and dream is. Because believe it or not, children really do, for the most part, want to see dad get to see some of the things he hopes and dreams for. So I share it with them. That's exactly what Paul did here. You say, I don't know, that seems a little weird. That's exactly what Paul does here. He says, before I leave you, leaders of Ephesus, I want you to know what I did with you and why I did it. You yourselves know, I call this, um, the message of Paul. And what's interesting for those who, who love, who just love scripture, this part of Acts is the most Pauline sounding part of Acts you'll find. What do I mean by that? If you know what Ephesians sounds like and Philippians sounds like and Thessalonians sounds like, right now, this section of scripture is really gonna sound like one of his letters, okay? And it seems that Luke was in the audience recording this. Paul's gonna tell you what he deemed as important in life as a spiritual leader. Here we go. He says this, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. You know how I lived. He says this, serving the Lord with humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. I noticed three things. I wrote them down. One, he said, I wanted you to note my attitude. You watched my attitude. I tried to serve with humility. You watched my emotions. Oh, so often it's tempting, especially as fathers, to hide our emotions from our, from our spiritual followers. But he says, you got to see it with tears and trials. Here's a little bit of a window into the heart of Paul. How many of you have characterized Paul as this guy who walks into the temple and says, this is the, what the God says. And everybody's like, ah, and then fights break out and stuff. But you know what this verse tells me? He would go home and cry. I mean, Paul was one of the toughest guys. Anybody, any men, you think you're tough? Have you ever been stoned for what you've said and got back up and gone the next day? Anybody been whipped 40 times in your back so it's broke open and your backbone's showing and then went out the next day to work? Anybody do that in here? So, so we're talking about one of the toughest men that have ever walked the face of this earth. And he says, I get out there and I preach the gospel and I go home and cry. 
Dad, you ever feel like that sometimes? You try to be everything this family wants me to be, and then you find yourself in tears in the shower. Paul's been there. You got to see it though. You saw my emotions. You saw my struggles. You saw the pressures against me. I lived under tremendous pressure. And then he said how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. I want you to know you saw my boldness. I didn't shrink. It's so tempting. I can tell you right now, I find this, I find this to be a challenge at times. It's not fun. It's not that exciting to share things you know people, at least some people, are rejecting as you're sharing them. And, and Paul's saying, I didn't shrink from declaring the truth, whether you liked it or not. I shared with you what you needed, and I taught you in public and from house to house. You saw my convictions. It's important for, for, for spiritual leaders to share their convictions and share your effort and how you went about it. Paul says, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. A spiritual leader is not just sacrificial. A spiritual leader, I learned from this, is influential. They're influential. He wanted them to see his attitude, his emotions, his struggles, his effort, his convictions, his boldness. He wanted them to see that. Why? Because he was being intentional. I want you to watch me and learn. There are seasons in every person's life that are hard. There are seasons when dad's going to cry. There's seasons where dad is going to be upset. There's seasons where dad's going to go, no, that's not happening in this house. There's going to be moments like that, but I want you to see that because he's living an intentional life as a sojourner. You know, there's a, there's a, a quote, many of you have probably heard it. It's so true, it's unbelievable. It's this, more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. You know one of the reasons my family traverses to Sunset Beach every year? Because my dad did. You want to know why my dad did? Because his dad did. I, you want to know what, I mean, my, my pop-up folk loved trains. I still like model training. I don't have the time for it anymore, but I still like it. One day I will retire, I think. But I like it. I eat breakfast at Roy Ann. My pop-up Heller ate breakfast at Roy Ann. We pick things up without even thinking about it. I read my Bible in the mornings. My mom always reads her Bible in the morning. I just picked it up. Nobody's like, you have to read your Bible each morning. I just picked it up by watching. But dads, don't be mad at your son for being evil or rude or mean to your wife if that's what he's been watching. Don't be shocked if your boy is demeaning in the car with his bride while he's driving if that's what you're doing, because you're influential. Don't be stunned if your kids aren't in church when they're 40, if you're not in church right now. Don't be shocked, because part of just being a dad is doing it and letting them see it. We have a role, and that is to be influential. You know, I've always wanted to be a great dad. I've always, that was always, I, I love being a dad. It's one of my favorite duties on earth is being a dad. And, and one of the things I always thought is I want to leave my kids a lot. I want to leave them something. I want to leave them something. I want to leave them something. I've been inspired by that. In fact, I can find you a million self-help things on what to leave your family and do this and leave a legacy, all this stuff. 
You know, I found a verse in scripture though that has really helped calm my performance-driven mind. One of the best things you can ever give your children, fathers, who want to be influences, is a good name. What? Yeah, a good name. You, you think a good name's not that important? Ask a kid who has a father with a bad name how important it is. In fact, let me double down and read to you Proverbs that says this. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. That requires no talent, dads. That just requires faithfulness to God. Now, that is subjective, obviously, on how people say and think about you, which we are not defined by that. But fathers, what a great goal to say, I would like to leave my family with a reputation intact. It's gonna help you make decisions in life. It's gonna teach you when to say no and when to say yes. It's gonna prioritize things for you if that verse is an overriding goal. And you have to give that verse to God because that is not something in your own strength you are possible of accomplishing. And in fact, the devil's gonna sneak in on any fathers who have lost their reputation in front of their families and say, you're a loser, you're a failure. Stay here till the end of the message. We got something for the devil who tries to guilt our fathers. But we're influential and we need to know that because there's seasons of life where we have more influence than others even. And we wanna take advantage before the sun sets. Well, the sun is setting on Paul. And he knows he's got to start moving. And so he says this to them. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem. I got to get there. I'm constrained by the Spirit. I'll give you an acting um, lesson on what it would be to grammatically be constrained by the Spirit. This is what he's doing, okay? He's saying, I'm basically, the Spirit's going, okay, wait, wait, I'm going. I have to go. He's telling me I got to go. And I don't know what will happen to me. But I do know this. What does he know? Well, the Spirit's given him some hits. The Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. It's gonna be difficult. He, he says, but I don't count my life as any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course. I just wanna finish my race. And the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus, what was your race, Paul? To testify to the gospel. But not just the gospel, but of the grace of God. Spiritual leaders don't just want to give their families the gospel. They want to give their families grace. And now, behold, I know that none of among you I have gone and about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. You guys aren't going to see me again till heaven. So therefore, I'm going to tell you what I did as a spiritual father so that I can now surrender you to God. What? Yeah. I'm, I, I've finished this race with you. I'm leaving. I'm headed. And so now I'm going to surrender you. Dads, this is that moment when she gets out of the car and she goes, okay, I got all my stuff. And her friends are like, are we going? Are we going? And, and they run into their college dorm room and you're going, ah. And then you see a couple guys follow them and you're like, oh. <laughs> I'm giving them over. What, 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 what did you say, Paul? He says, I testify to you. I call this the, the, the time where Paul says, I put myself on a trial as a spiritual leader so that I can relinquish now my responsibility at this season, not forever. He says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. 
Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that my departure, fierce wolves are going to come among you, not sparing the flock. I know you're going to face danger. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. I know you're going to be lied to. They're going to try to draw you away as disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I didn't cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands have ministered to my necessities and those who are with me. In all these things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Fathers, don't let the devil lie to you and say you deserve it. It's so much more blessed to give than to receive. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I wrote down six things that we can all learn for if we want to be spiritual leaders I shared with you the gospel. Dad wasn't perfect, but he shared the gospel. I did not shy away from the truth. I said what needed to be said, even if I knew it might get rejected. I said what needed to be said. Hey, dads, especially young dads raising your children in this generation, if you don't say it, nobody's gonna say it. And it's not always gonna be comfortable. But Paul says, there's one thing I did. I shared the truth. I told you what to watch out for. It's almost like I'm not responsible for you falling away. I told you what to watch out for. I showed you how to work. I'm not responsible that you chose a poor work ethic. I showed you how to work. I, I loved you like Jesus loves me. It's not my fault you don't love Jesus. I showed you how to love Jesus. And, and I now hand you over to God. I'm surrendering you over. Paul says, I've done all I can do. The rest is on God. But I notice with these six things that Paul desperately understood his role. And when he said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. But Paul had a clear conscience walking away. For regardless how any of them follow through with what he taught them, he knows he was responsible because a spiritual leader is sacrificial, a spiritual leader is influential, and a spiritual leader is responsible knowing they have been called to be missional here on earth. May we not turn away from the most important goal, to bring the ones we love the most with us to glory. There were two steamboat paddle boats headed down the Mississippi River. The one boat began to remark about how the other boat was slower. They started talking disparaging words back and forth. The race began. They sped up the boats and they started heading down the channel. These steamboats heading for the place. They both had cargo they were supposed to deliver, but that was secondary now. The goal was to win the race. Oh, dads don't like losing. But on this particular day, one of the steamboats found out that if we actually put things in the burners, the speedboat, the, the, the 
the boat will go faster. And so they began to take some of the cargo and throw it in. Boom, they put it in and burned all in the boat. That steamboat picked up speed, so they threw more cargo in and more cargo in, and they raced ahead, and they jeered at the other boat that was behind, and they got to the end, and they won the race. But they had no cargo, and that was why they're going down the channel. There's a lesson to be learned there. Don't win some earthly race. Sacrifice the true war. Sojourners, spiritual leaders, are sacrificial because they know their seasons of life that are transitional. They're influential, so they're very intentional how they live, and they speak that intent to those who follow them, and they're responsible. They're ambassadors of Christ, and they have a mission. Paul was so determined of all this that almost in every stop, he would say, imitate me. Look, here in Thessalonica, and you became imitators of us in the Lord. He stopped here in this city of Corinth, and he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He went to a place called Philippi. You ever hear that? Join one another in following my example, because here's what Paul understood. He was far from perfect. In fact, he often beat up on himself. You can read in scripture. But his goal was not to point to himself. It was to point to Christ. You know, Sunset Beach will continue on. That shipwreck will eventually go underwater. But I bet people will keep coming. Why? Because the boats would drew them there. But the ultimate goal to go now is the most beautiful part of the beach, the sun. And fathers, you may feel like the greatest shipwreck of a father possible. But if you point them to Christ, you've done a great job. For one day you'll fade away, but the one they need the most will shine brighter than ever as you point them to Christ. I promised you that I'd try to share those seven things. So here's the seven things. It was four, it grew to five, memory came back even as of last night, and here are the seven things. I thought I'd honor my dad on this Father's Day by putting this up for you. Every kid needs this, prayer. James 5, 6, prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. I, am not, I cannot tell you how privileged I am to have two dads, Rebecca's father and my dad, who actively pray for our children that has given far more credit than anything I could ever do. And it gets us through the most difficult seasons of time. Dad, if you're not praying for your kids every day, can I say this in all love? What's wrong with you? Let's continue on. Salvation. Share the gospel with them. Share the gospel with them. Dads, we can be praying for our kids. The devil can't stop us from praying. He can grab them, he can distract them, he can push them around, but he can't stop us from praying. Don't let the devil win. But don't let the devil not let you share salvation. Oh, if your hands shake, if you haven't done it, you got saved later in life, and now it's go share your salvation before they leave. Because I could take this list before they leave home, and I could say it before you leave home, Dad. 
Because there's one thing my dad did teach me. He said this, you never stop parenting. Whether they're in the house or not, you never stop parenting. Dads, let's be praying for them. Let's use the day to go, devil, I'm gonna pray for my kids. Dads, if you shared your salvation with them, great job, dad. If you've been praying for them, great job, keep it up. Here's this, discretion. Dads, teach them discretion. Teach them discretion. Proverbs 22, six, train up a child in the way they should go. Here's the problem. If you don't know the way to go, dad, you can't train them in the way to go, okay? Don't justify this verse away. If you don't know the way to go, they've got to see the way to go. So my dad always said, listen, Chris, one of the things you wanna do with your kids, let them make their own decisions unless their decisions are wrong. And when they're wrong, correct them and show them why. Because one day they will leave the house and make their own decisions. This is your chance, this sunset, to show them why the decision was wrong or whether it was right based on scripture. If you don't know that way, they need to. So dads, freshen up. I have stored up Proverbs to give to my kids along the way. They just seem to speak better than, all right, sit down, okay? Just teach them discretion, dads, and you're doing a great job. Consistency, dad, be as consistent as possible. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I have listened, I was a youth pastor for 11 years. I listened to teenagers say, oh, my friends have to lie to their dad because their dad freaks out. It's literally not worth telling him the truth. We have to model some consistency into their approach so they feel they can approach us. Remember your heavenly father who knows everything you've done wrong, dads, says, come to me boldly. Come here and share with me. Let's be consistent like our heavenly father. That provides such a strong base for kids. Before they leave home, be authentic. Matthew 6, 1, don't just practice your righteousness in order to be seen. Those times when they see you in the car, those times they hear you speak, those are the times we wanna be as authentic as we can. One of the things I do, dads, when I know I've messed up and blown my testimony or my attitude, okay, let me be vulnerable. I will literally say, hey, dad blew it today. Dad blew it today, okay? When I've allowed too much pride in the home and we're kind of like bullying each other a little bit, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey guys, this is on dad, let's pray. And I prayed out loud. It's amazing. All of a sudden, everybody's tickling and giggling and going and getting a snack. Somebody throws out, let's go get ice cream. It's amazing what prayer does in a home, dads. It's amazing. But oh, it's so intimidating to shout that into the room, especially when they're older. And it's like, oh my word, dad's praying out loud. So now I even threaten it, dads. Hey, do I need to pray out loud? No, no. Okay, no. Okay, so, so just some authenticity. Dads, we've messed up. Just tell them, hey, I blew it. I blew it. I'm going to do better. Um, hey, stability. They need stability. Hebrews 13, 5, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Don't ever stop saying, dad. If you haven't said it, start saying it. Hey, you know I'm not going anywhere. Okay? You know I'm not going anywhere. If life has been hard on you and some past decisions have separated you from your children, you can still make that phone call and say, hey, you know, Dad, it seemed like you went, I'm, I'm not going. Anytime you call, I'm gonna be available. There are ways to reestablish stability even if you haven't shown it, but your kids need stability. And then finally, unconditional love. John 15, 12, as I love you, love them. One of the number one things I try to say to myself as a dad when I get frustrated or get mad or I get guilt and shame or whatever, because man, none of us are perfect, I go, how does Christ love me that's how I wanna to try to love them. These are things we can be doing as spiritual leaders their whole life. Listen, that unconditional love part 
is so massive, especially if you're a father whose kids have gotten older now. One of the best things my dad taught me is he said this, hey, listen, listen, on the sunsets of life, you gotta understand your kids help paint the picture. And they're gonna paint things in your family's life you wish they maybe didn't paint, but it's still part of the family's painting. And you have to entrust the whole painting because they're part of it to the Lord. But fathers, you never stop parenting. Spiritual leaders, moms, you never stop leading. Are you praying for them? Have you shared the gospel with them? You teach them discretion? Showing consistency and authenticity? Are you being stable? Offering that unconditional love? Why would you do that? Because your goal isn't for them to look at your ship. It's barely peeking out of the water. Your goal and your prayer is that one day, even if they've wandered far away, they'll stumble back to that beach you showed them to go to. And they'll look out on that horizon. And they won't see you. They'll see the sun. Heavenly Father, the devil likes to guilt dads. You should have. The devil's like, loves to say, you know, if you didn't do that, they wouldn't be like this. The devil loves to remind dads of all the th places they don't measure up. The devil even likes to use people, even sometimes our loved ones, to reinforce discouragement and defeat into the lives of dads. Lord, I pray for all the dads, and I claim this in the name of Jesus Christ. Would you help them know today that there is no condemnation in your eyes? You know they're not perfect. They're just trying to point their families to the sun. And so if they feel like a shipwreck today, I pray that you surround them with family members who remind them how much they've meant. Would you have someone walk up to that dad and say, you have no idea what you mean to me? Because we get enough guilt and shame on this side of eternity. But I pray also that the Holy Spirit would tap on the shoulder of those fathers and say, we have a responsibility. We're influential in this home. And this is just a season. So we gotta sacrifice if we wanna see the sunset we pray and hope for. And for those fathers in here where it seems the sun is going down and it's not what they had pictured, would you remind them that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it? And there's nothing these dads could ever do that could make their heavenly father love them less. Thank you, Jesus, for our fathers. Thank you for their flaws as well as their successes. But most importantly, thank you for the picture they've created of our Heavenly Father. May we always look to the Son. Amen.